Father's eye. Give not that which is holy unto the dogs, neither cast ye your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn again and rend you. This is the Sermon on the Mount series, but I want to subtitle it with this thought, The Unavoidable Temptation. The Unavoidable Temptation. Lord bless you. Expository preaching has a way of growing. The more you dig into things, kind of like a bad piece of meat, you just keep gnawing on it. It gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And when you start really digging into things, you could spend a lot of time seeing how it fits and applies to our personal lives. So there's no way that I could do justice or I have done justice to the Sermon on the Mount. My prayer, though, is that it provokes something in you and in your own time you start pondering and thinking and seeing how it applies to your own life. We all know what temptation feels like. It varies from person to person. What attracts or appeals you may not attract or appeal to me. But we all know how strong temptation can be. At some point in your life, you felt that drawing to do something that you know isn't right. It may have been something you did all the time when you were in the world. But when you got the Holy Ghost, something on the inside changed, and you knew, hey, I can't do that anymore. But at some point in your life, you keep living for God, there's going to be that temptation. We all know what temptation feels like. Galatians 5, 19 through 21 says, Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. These are the works of the flesh. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. These are the byproducts of the flesh. I was talking to someone today, and I said, isn't it funny? how nobody has to teach kids how to be bad. You don't have to teach kids how to be bad. They're wired. When they come out the womb, their default setting is bad. Nobody has to teach them how to lie, how to fight with their brothers or sisters, and on and on and on it goes. That's their nature. You have to teach them how to be good. It's crazy that that little innocent baby that you held the day they were born, who could have ever thought that that little baby could bring such heartache to people? They're so innocent. They're so pure. They're the epitome of perfection in every parent's eyes. That was a great alliteration right there. But they are programmed to be bad. 
because they are full of flesh. They're full of carnality. And if you don't touch them and you don't try to teach them right, and you don't try to produce something in them of value, then they will accomplish Galatians 5, 19 through 21, and they will fulfill the works of the flesh. That is, this list is the byproducts of what your flesh wants to do. You get the Holy Ghost, God puts his laws in your mind, writes them on your heart, and then his spirit governs you. You take somebody that full of the world, live the way of the world, they come and God convicts them, they come to an altar, they get the Holy Ghost, they may not know a single thing about this book right here. But when they leave that altar, something starts telling them, you can't do this anymore. You can't act like that no more. Nobody told them anything except God wrote his laws on their heart. And the Spirit of the Lord governs them. And as they grow, and as they read, they mature in Christ. There is that battle between the spirit and the flesh. The flesh lusteth against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh. These are contrary the one to the other. As long as you live, you will battle that flesh. As long as you live, that carnal nature, that carnal man, will want to rise up and dictate what you should do and how you should act. And the spirit has to war against it. James tells us in chapter 1 verse 13, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, it bringeth forth death. God doesn't tempt people. We are tempted when we're drawn away by our own lust. Let me say this. People aren't tempted with what they don't like. They're tempted with what they do like. Because your lust is unique to you. What you lust after may be different than what he lusts after. You may look at a, a pack of cigarettes and your mouth just start watering. I guess that happens when you like cigarettes. I don't know. And you just, you just, your fingers automatically go like that when you see a pack of cigarettes. Or like that. I don't know. I've never smoked them. I don't know. Or can it dip? I don't know. I did dip once. It was a little flavor pack when I was in high school. It was a little cinnamon. Here it is, confession. Let me go shut the door and confess. It was one of them flavor packs, and it was supposed to be cinnamon flavored, and you put it in your lip, and my buddy said to high school, he said, hey, this ain't dip. This is just a little cinnamon pack. Oh, I was okay, a little cinnamon pack, like a mint, you know, and I put it in, and I got so sick, I spit that sucker out so fast, and I've never touched it since then. A can of skull doesn't tempt me. A pack of cigarettes doesn't tempt me. But it may tempt you if you like it. Because your lust is unique to you. There's some people, if they pass a slot machine, they just their hand might just start going like that. 
because maybe God delivered them from that. It might appeal to them. If losing money is your thing, it might appeal to them. But everybody's tempted by what they like because the enemy can't read your mind, but he can read your life. He can see where you go, how you talk, who you hang out with. He knows what makes you tick. He knows what you like. And then he'll form that plan to tempt you with what you like. God does not tempt people with evil. God can't be tempted with it, neither tempteth he any man. But when we're drawn away of our own lust, we become targets for temptations. The reason we must die daily is because the carnal nature, every day you, you wake up and your eyes open, that carnal man's trying to dig out all the, push all the dirt out of the grave. Every day that carnal man's trying to rise up and pull you down. Every day, something is waiting to pull you down. And although our temptations vary from person to person, there's one temptation that I believe every person will face, and God doesn't send it. Every person will face the unavoidable temptation, and that is the temptation to judge other people. Everybody. Whether you even realize you're being tempted or not, opportunity arises to cast judgment prematurely. Seemingly every day, there's situations, there's people, you don't have to go looking for it. It'll show up in your life a way that you can cast judgment. But Jesus said in verse 1, Judge not that ye be not judged. Now, Jesus is not referring to forming an opinion based on Scripture because right is right and wrong is wrong. The Word of God is not worried about being politically correct. So we know that sin is sin, wrong is wrong. And if I see someone or I know someone that is violating Scripture... I can form an opinion, Now I don't have to go talk about it, but I know that person is doing wrong. That is sin. Sin is sin. No matter where you go in the world, sin is sin. Okay? Jesus is not saying that you have to tiptoe around right and wrong. He's not saying you have to live in a gray area where God loves everybody and everybody's going to heaven. Okay? And everybody's not going to heaven. All right? Scripture's clear on that. Everybody's not going to heaven. We can judge by the word and say, you know what? That person murdered someone. That's sin. That's wrong. But you know what? God can still save a murderer. Now, this is what people ask me before. What about all the murderers in prison? They all have the opportunity to repent. They all have the opportunity to, to be saved. But you still have to pay consequences for actions on earth. It's not, like, it's not that they can't make it to heaven. They can make it to heaven. But you still have to reap what you sow on earth. There's principles in the Word of God and the kingdom that everybody, it applies to everybody. Let me just say this. Just because something is legally right doesn't mean it's morally right. 
Because we're living in a world that's trying to legalize everything. And just because we could say, well, it's not wrong, doesn't mean it's not wrong in God's eyes. Abortion's legal, but it's not right in God's eyes. You won't go to jail for it, but you may go to hell for it. Just because it's legally right doesn't mean it's morally right. And we cannot just be governed by what's legal. We have to also be governed by what's moral and ethical and in line with righteousness and holiness in the word of God. Jesus is referring, though, in this verse to someone casting a premature judgment about people or situations that we don't know anything about. For example, go to a restaurant. And this has happened to me. might happen to you. There's a long wait, and this is what they'll say. Sometimes. Now, we have room at the bar if you want to eat at the bar. There's times I really wanted to say, all right, let me go eat at the bar because I can go hurry up and eat. Don't have to wait for an hour. But you know, just as sure as I belly up to that bar and order me a steak and a glass of tea, somebody's going to walk in and go, I, I, I knew it. Where's my phone? Look, he's got beer. It's sweet tea, but it's beer. It looks like beer. He's drinking. And I'll be called before the board by the next day because of that. Sweet tea and a steak because I was in a hurry and I sat at the bar. And you know I'm telling you the truth. In the day in which we live, that's entirely possible because someone will look at something and then... Cast judgment. I knew it. I knew something wasn't right about him. That's just the society we live in. And Well, let me not even say that. People are people. That probably would have happened 100 years ago. Because we are drawn to negative. Because it's sensationalism. That's why they got all the tabloids. Still rocking them out. It's because... People are drawn to sensationalism. They're drawn to what's wrong. And when we do the same, we look at something or someone, and then we cast judgment on somebody, and we form an opinion about something, we're more wrong than that person. That person didn't do anything. I was enjoying my steak and sweet tea, and all of a sudden I'm a drunkard, hypothetically speaking. So he says, for with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. Why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? One translation says, why are you looking at the splinter in their eye when you have a two-by-four in yours? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, let me pull out the moat out of thine own eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye. Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the moat of thy brother's eye. Here's what I've learned about people. Usually when someone spends their energy pointing out what's wrong with others and everything that they're against, it's a smoke screen. So you don't see what's wrong with them. I want you looking right here because I don't want you looking right here. 
There was a man named F.B. Meyer. And I believe he said this. When we see a brother or sister in sin, there are two things we do not know. First, we don't know how hard he or she tried not to sin. And second, we don't know the power of the forces that assailed him or her. We also don't know what we would have done in the same circumstance. You didn't live their life. You weren't in their shoes. You don't know how you would act. But it's kind of like I was watching the cross-country meet yesterday. My daughter ran cross-country with Harrisonburg. And I go try to make it to all of their meets. Now, I don't look like a runner because really I'm not a runner. I try to run, but runners are usually good at running, and I feel like it's torture. And I've been working on trying to improve how fast I run without dying. And the best I got so far is three miles in 31 minutes. Now, you may look at that and say, that's horrible. And I will, I will agree. But for this fat boy, that was pretty good. And I felt like I was moving at Olympic pace when I was running. I mean, I felt like I was cruising. So I'm on the sidelines yesterday. And these kids, these high schoolers are running. And I'm sitting there going, they need to pick it up. They need, to, they need to go ahead and pass them right now. And I'm over here on the sidelines telling them everything they need to do. Because I ran three miles in 31 minutes. Now, these kids are running three miles in 17 minutes. But I'm going to tell them what they need to do. It don't make sense. Because they make it look so effortless. And I'm like, they're barely moving. These guys are barely moving. They need to hurry it up. But I'm not in their shoes. I'm not the one running their race. But isn't it crazy how we be, we'll be on the sidelines telling other people how to run their race? Well, they don't need to do that. Well, they need to do this over here. I saw them with those people. That's not good for them. They don't need to do this. I need to get a prayer team together for them. No, you won't talk about them to everybody. Touch your neighbor and tell them that's good preaching. Why do we feel, I'm not against praying, by the way. Don't run out of here and say he don't want us praying. That's not what I'm saying. I'm using illustration. Why do we feel so compelled to point out other people's weaknesses? I'll tell you why. Because it's easier for us to acknowledge what they're doing than to admit what we're doing. It's easier for us to point at everybody else and say, yep, I knew it. I knew it. She was no good. He was no good. And it, then to look at ourselves and say, hey, I got problems. There's things in my life that aren't right. It's a whole lot easier for us to fix everybody else's problems than it is to fix our own. If as long as we're looking at other people's problems, we don't have to look at our own. But when we stop, Looking at everybody else, we're forced to look inward. And then we can acknowledge. Generally speaking, that which we are pointing out is way less of an issue than what we're dealing with on our own. 
Bullies like to make themselves feel bigger and better by putting down other people. And I have seen way too many spiritual bullies in the church because nobody in this building is better than anybody. Nobody. Everybody here is trying to get to the same place. How God gets us there is unique to every person. But the end result is everybody wants to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I want you to go to heaven just as much as I want to go to heaven. I'm not going to try to pull you down. I want to help push you up. I want to encourage you. We got way too many church police. All they're missing is a citation book. Quick to sound the alarm. I saw this. Did you know this? Did you know this? I asked my pastor one time, because I would get frustrated. I'd be like, how can he not see that? How does he don't? How does he not know that? And I, me and my wife would talk. And, and here's the approach that I took with my pastor. This is what I learned. Instead of talking about what he's not fixing, just go talk to him. He may not know about it. Instead of standing, sitting back going, I can't believe he's going to let all this go on. I can't believe. What's this church going to? He may not have a clue. Nine times out of ten when I went and talked to him, he's like, really? I didn't know. So when I started pastoring, I figured out real quick, there's no, no way one man can know what 200 people are doing. Can't do it. Can't do it. So I talked to him about it. He said, Tyler, I believe it's God's way of protecting the pastor because if he knew what 200 people was doing, he'd go insane. He'd go insane because I lay in bed and I'll just be thinking about people, thinking about situations. God, you know what they need. God, you know. And if I knew everything that was happening at all times, it, I would lose my mind. I lose my mind. God knows that a pastor is still just a man. Not perfect. And, and he loves the sheep. He, I wish I could fix all the problems. I wish I could, I could help everybody. But there's some things I can't do. And, and, and he told me, he said, God has to put blinders on you. I'm usually the last one to know. I'm usually the last, unless somebody comes and tells me I'm the last one to know. And I like it like that. Because if I look at you and say, I didn't know that, I'm telling you the truth. I didn't know that. But instead of sitting back, being critical about why things aren't changing and why, well, look at this one and look at that one. You know what? It would help if maybe you took a different approach and said, Lord, you know my concern for that person. You know my concern over what they're doing or what they're saying and how they're acting, and I want you to help them. You know what you did? You still acknowledge the problem, but you acknowledged it to someone who can actually help them and fix it. How God chooses to do it, that's between them and God. We're also, I'm hurrying. I, I, I really think there's times that people are more worried about people not being exposed than they are their soul. We want people to be exposed. We want people to pay the piper. We don't want anybody to get away with anything. I'm not talking about 
this church. I'm talking about human nature, okay? Not, not, I don't have an individual in my mind. I'm just, everywhere I've been, I've met the same kind of people because people are people. We don't want one person to get one up on us. The church is not for critics. A young musician's concert was poorly received by the critics, and the famous Finnish composer Gene Sibelius consoled him by patting him on the shoulder. And this is what he told him. Remember, son, there's no city in the world where they have a statue of a critic. We will honor critics. There's no place for critics. Because Paul said, hey, such were some of you. But you've been washed. You've been justified. You've got your own problems. We don't need to spend all of our time criticizing. You know what? There's plenty of people that criticize the heat, but the, it doesn't stop the sun from shining. The sun's going to keep doing what it's put, put in place to do. God, Bible says this, 1 Timothy 5.24, some men's sins are open beforehand, going before to judgment. They're exposed. And some men, they follow after. In other words, that person that you're keeping score on, that you want them to be exposed and everybody to see them for who they really are, some of those people will be exposed down here. But some of them, God's going to keep the lid on it. And on the other side, he's going to take the lid off. But everybody will be exposed. Everybody. But, just in the same manner that the wrong will be revealed, the right will be revealed. Because it says in verse 25, Likewise also the good works of some are manifest beforehand, and they that are otherwise cannot be hid. God's, God knows everything. And nobody's going to get one over on God. Scripture says that we shouldn't, God is not a man that he should be mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth that, will he also reap? You don't mock God and think that you're going to get away from it, away with it. God will expose everybody at the time that he chooses to do it. It isn't up for us to expose them. You let God take care of it. And God will expose both the good and the bad. If you look at the tabernacle in the Old Testament, it was nothing beautiful to look at. In fact, it was nothing but badger skin. Old skins everywhere. But it wasn't about what was happening on the outside or how it looked on the outside. It was what was taking place on the inside that made it special. And there's people that we look on the outside and all we see is badger skins and we see bad and we see horrible. But it's not about what's happening on the outside of people. It's about what God's doing on the inside of people that makes it special. Everybody matures at a different rate. There's kids, there's kids that learn to walk by the, they're 10 months old. There's kids that learn to walk when they're 12 months old. There's kids that just don't want to walk and just love being carried. But they all develop at their own rate. And we have to be spiritually enough to know that there's going to be somebody that comes to this altar and in six months they don't have it all down pat. Because they're still learning to crawl. 
And you can't judge them by the outside. You have to have an awareness that there's something on the inside that's happening. Amen. Touch your neighbor and tell them this is good. We should always choose mercy over judgment. James 2.13, For he shall have judgment without mercy that hath showed no mercy. And mercy rejoiceth against judgment. I have seen churches splintered to pieces because men, you got to remember, men are men. Men of God are first men before they're men of God. I've seen them splintered to pieces because pastors were so hard on everybody else's kids and everything was wrong until their kids did it. And it's a different story. And their kids now have walked away from God. And they bent all the rules for their kids, but they lowered the boom on everybody else's kids. Mm-mm. you got to have mercy on everybody. On everybody. Doesn't mean you excuse their behavior. There's times as parents, you know, you know what I'm telling you is the truth. My daughter knows if she can get me laughing when it's time to bring the rod of correction, them whippings aren't going to be as hard and there's not going to be as many of them because she got, she touched my heart and I had mercy on her. It's not that I excused her behavior. It's that daddy showed mercy because she touched my heart. And there's times that we mess up and we come to God and we'll bellowing and, cre- and, and screaming and crying. My brother, boy, he used to, he used to on his back, he would spin like break dancers all the way around the kitchen. Mama just never touched him because he was spinning. And there's times we come to God and we do the same thing. We know we were wrong. And we beller and we scream and we cry and we touch the heart of God and God has mercy on us. Just like kids. That's why... It talks about spiritual, God's our Father, we're children. Everything that, the emotions that are in the physical, they parallel with the spiritual. Just like you have mercy on your kids, God has mercy on you. Because God would rather choose mercy in your life than judgment. I'm coming to a close real quickly. The only person you should judge is yourself. That's it. 1 Peter 4.17, For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? You're not going to be judged over where you went to church. You're not going to be judged over whether you were Pentecostal or Baptist or Catholic or Methodist or whatever. All that's man-made, okay? This right here, everybody's going to be judged by the Word of God. Everybody is going to be judged by the Word of God. So watch this. 1 Corinthians eleven thirteen. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. Judgment begins at the house of God. So if everybody's going to be judged by the Word, you have two categories of people. You have the first category that says, I'm going to be judged by the word while I'm down here. And I'm going to make sure my life matches up with this word. 
And the second category are those that don't make it in the rapture, and they stand before God, and this book is exposed, and they're going to be judged by the word then. Everybody is going to be judged by the word. The difference is when will you be judged by the word? If we judge ourselves, listen to me, if you make it in the rapture, it's because you lined up with that book. God's not going to kick you out at the great white throne judgment and tell you to get out. You made it. You made it. Because you lined up with this book. Those that are going to be judged on the other side are those that didn't line up with the book. Now, we're all going to be giving out our rewards according to what we did on this earth. But everybody is going to be judged by the word. Everybody. So that means I'm not supposed to judge you. I judge myself. And if I look at this word and it says I'm doing something that I'm not supposed to be doing, I have to make the correction to line up with this word. If we judge ourselves down here, we're not going to have to face the judgment of the word up there and get kicked out of eternity with the Lord because we took care of it down here. Stand with me now. Everybody faces that temptation. It's unavoidable to cast judgment. You, it happens so frequently that you don't even realize it's happening. You know, Jesus faced the same, same temptation. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above what you're able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. There was a woman brought before Jesus. They said, we caught her in the very act of adultery. This ain't hearsay. We, we could prove it. She was adultery. And everything within Jesus, because he was man, he could have judged her. Oh, that's what she did. He could have made a mockery of her in front of all the people. Jesus was in the seated position. And as a judge, he could have executed judgment from the seated position because judges don't execute judgment when they're standing, only when they're seated. You know what he did? He changed positions. And he bent down and started writing on the ground. It was his way of saying, hey, although I have all power to judge right now, I'm not going to judge. I'm going to go over here and write in the ground. He said, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. One by one, beginning with the eldest, stones begin to drop. When he looked up, he looked at the, at the woman and said, woman, where is thine accusers? She says, I have none. He said, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Jesus, at that moment, faced the temptation in the flesh. Do I judge her or do I show mercy? There's another time that all of humanity was guilty of sin and Jesus, God, from the seated position could have executed judgment, but he didn't. You know what he did? He changed positions and he left from being a judge, a throne in heaven, and he came down on this earth and he showed mercy. The same mercy that Jesus showed every single one of us is the same mercy that he wants us to show people. Judge not. Judge not. 
most probably 99% of the time that we cast judgment on somebody, we're wrong. Because we don't know everything. We don't know all the details. The Bible says in Proverbs eleven thirteen, 13, A talebearer revealeth secrets, but he that is of a faithful spirit concealeth the matter. You cannot stop what comes at your at you or in your ear. But you know what you can stop? What you do with it. He that is of a faithful spirit will say, hey, I'm going to take all this that I've heard and I've seen and I'm going to conceal it up to where it doesn't leave me. Now, I can't control what everybody else does, but I can control what I do. I can control what I say and what information I pass on. And God, you know that person. I ask that you would help that person. Amen. I want to be a faithful spirit. Let's lift our hands right now all over the building. Lord Jesus, we 